You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome and thank you for joining us. This is the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. I'm your host, Darius Good. This podcast show was designed for Christians that have experienced the pain and shame of divorce. Um, but we have begun by doing biblical teachings on the subject of divorce. I believe divorce is a topic that doesn't get much attention. It doesn't get much uh, a teaching even uh, with the right spirit. Uh, pretty much all most people are familiar with is divorce is a sin and, and, and God didn't purpose for Adam and Eve to get divorced. He didn't create divorce in the beginning. And that's pretty much it that we've heard on the topic of divorce. But as we began taking a very focal look, um, let's focus on this topic. Let's go through the scriptures and see really if there's anything else uh, beyond these few scriptures that we point to, things that Jesus might have said. And in doing so, you begin to discover that divorce is really a topic that is used throughout the scriptures. Um, so we're going to get into a lot of these layers um, over the course of the next several weeks. What I want to do today is bring some clarity to the topic of an adulterous marriage. I've heard this since I was young. And understand, um, these weren't teachings that I heard in my church. They're just teachings that I've heard throughout the body of Christ. But one such passage would be Romans chapter 7. Most people kind of point to this passage as we're discussing marriage. And they will say, well, Romans 7, I'll just read you the verses. Let's start at verse 1. Romans 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. If the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Verse 4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So this is a passage that a lot of people point to and says, well, this is what the New Testament says regarding marriage. But there's several problems with this particular verse. Number one, Paul was not discussing marriage. So to point to this passage as the New Testament standard, as explained by Paul regarding marriage, this, this passage was an example. Paul used marriage as an example to make his point, which had nothing to do with marriage. Short version, and we'll take time to go through this, these four verses but the short version to understand what Paul was explaining was that we're in covenant with God, the Old Testament covenant. But in order for us to enter into the new covenant, the New Testament, first covenant must come to an end. 
but he uses the example of a husband and wife, how their covenant bond comes to an end through death. That's the cliff note version of these four verses. But we miss that because we focus on marriage. So the, the point that Paul's really making really goes over people's heads. So, but let me say this uh, in regards to Romans chapter seven, as we try, uh, many try to use this passage to discuss the subject of divorce. Divorce was never introduced as part of the concept of the example that Paul was making. You notice in this particular passage, it says the woman which hath a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he is alive. If the husband dies, she is loosed or released from her marital agreement. She's released from her vow to her husband. So now she's loosed from the law of her husband. Then verse three now talks about a different scenario that if the woman's husband is alive and she marries another man, then she's called an adulteress. Let's stop there because I need to point out that there's no divorce involved. So those that teach this passage and then says, if you enter into another marriage, that becomes an adulterous marriage. They themselves has introduced the concept of divorce, but that is not what Paul was discussing. Paul never introduced the concept of divorce. Matter of fact, as I just explained, Paul wasn't talking about marriage on that level anyway. He's trying to draw a conclude, uh, a, use an example, an analogy to help us understand how we can legally enter into a new covenant if the old covenant has not first come to an end. So he uses the example of a widow. Uh, death severs covenants. Death severs agreements. The law has no, no consequence. It has no effect on an individual when they are now dead. And that's how he began verse one. For, for some reason, when people go to these passages, they skip verse one, they skip verse four, and then they want to preach a sermon on verse two and three. And you got to connect the points. There's a reason why Paul started where he did and a reason why he ended where he did. So they end up missing the entire point Paul was making. But if you want to look at this passage through the lens of marriage, Paul does not introduce the concept of divorce. Divorce severs the marital bond. It brings a resolution. It resolves the marriage. Paul doesn't introduce that concept. And so what they've done is they've introduced the concept of divorce and then began to label the second marriage once a divorce has occurred as an adulterous marriage. Let's just deal with the details that are written in this passage. A wife, the woman, as long as her husband liveth, once you are divorced, that man is not her husband. Once you're divorced, that woman is not your wife. Let's look at what Paul explained. This is verse 3, Romans 7, verse 3. If while her husband lives, be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress because she has entered into a second marriage. That means according to Jewish tradition, there is a second ketubah that has been drafted, meaning at the beginning of their the engagement process, 
first document that they pull together, they draft, is called the Ketubah. It is a legal binding contract between a woman that's agreeing to marry the man and the man that's agreeing to marry this woman. They write out all the details regarding their marriage. It deals with what would happen in the case of the husband dying. What is the wife going to receive? So it really includes life insurance. They discuss what will transpire in the dissolution of the marriage. The dissolution is a divorce. I know many people don't understand this, but in the Jewish culture, they really included their prenuptial agreement within their uh, ketubah, within the marriage contract. And the word ketubah means writing. So they would sit down and draft this thing out. So in the case of a dissolution or a divorce, then the wife generally got her dowry back. And that was the entire purpose of the dowry. This is, this is what fascinates me. People talk about dowries, they talk about this, they talk about that, and then we, we're, we're so anti-divorce, and yet the whole concept of dowry was in case something happened to the, the, in the marriage situation, the woman could receive her dowry back that had been given to the man by the father. Now, in addition to the dowry, there was other agreements that was made in case of the dissolution of the marriage. So there was another payment um, that was often agreed upon, and it varied. Sometimes it was equal to the dowry, sometimes it was one-fifth, and other times it was one-third. These were generally the, the customs um, that was followed. So in the case, let's say the dowry, which generally was like land, um, large sums of money, and keep in mind, we're talking about generational wealth. Abraham gave his, his inheritance to Isaac, so everything he accumulated in his lifetime now goes to Isaac. Isaac gives uh, his wealth to his sons, Jacob and Esau. They distribute it to their kids. We're talking about generation after generation after generation of wealth now being passed down. So now, when the women, the daughters would receive their dowry, there were large sums of land, large sums of slaves and many other things of value that she's now bringing into the marriage that was hers. And in essence, set in what we would consider to be a escrow account, that in case of a divorce, the dissolution of a marriage, she would receive her dowry. And there were some other laws uh, connected or pertaining to this, such as uh, if the daughter died at a particular time, let's say she died one year into the marriage, then the dowry might go back to the father. Um, and it might, there was other stipulations for different years of what would transpire with that dowry. Um, so there's so much to this concept of marriage that we don't understand, we're not familiar with, and yet we're going to take two verses out of Romans, and we're going to preach a message on what the law says about marriage. And this has created so much confusion, so much misunderstanding. But even if we just simply read what is there without adding to the story, that would be helpful. As I explained already in Romans chapter 7, the concept of divorce is not being introduced. So what we're dealing with is a woman who is married and now has entered into a second marriage. That second marriage would be considered adulterous. There's no divorce and there's no death. So she's not a widow. So the death would have freed her from the laws of marriage, the laws of her husband. 
which would have permitted her to now remarry with no issue. So in this case, because the husband still lives, we're not dealing with a widowed situation and we're not dealing with a divorced situation. We're dealing with a woman who has left her husband and has gone and married another man. That means she has two marriage contracts. But now the second marriage becomes invalid as long as the first one is still alive. In essence, that first contract has not come to an end and a contract comes to an end. Let's, so let's talk about just contracts in general. There are three ways in which contracts will come to an end. One would be death. And even in a business contract, two people, two owners, once the, uh, one owner dies, the agreement between the two dies with the parties. The second way contracts come to an end is divorce. And this is, so let's say even in the music industry, as I discuss, because um, I, I was involved with the music industry for many years, let's say the artist is discussing an agreement with a record label. We both lay on the table what each would do. The record label says what I would do for the artist. The artist says what they would do for the record label. And then in the relationship, one is not doing what they said they would do. What happens? You bring them to court because our, this was our agreement. This is what we have in writing and this is what's transpiring. So the judge will read through the agreement to determine which one is in at, at fault, which one is guilty. A friend of mine had a situation with a, a publishing company where they paid him for a certain number of songs. The agreement was for a million dollars for a certain number of songs. The problem was they were only able to produce half of the agreement. But the publishing company had already gave them the first half, which was a half a million dollars. So now as they came to sit down, because this agreement doesn't look like it's being fulfilled, both parties decided to walk away where things stood. We'll walk away with the amount of songs that you've given us so far. You keep the half a million dollars and then we won't pay you the other half a million dollars. So they decided to agree on this. And that's really they dissolved the agreement. They both went their separate ways. That is the concept of divorce. In a marriage where two people aren't getting along, this is what you agreed, this is what I agreed, they come together, this is not working out, now we're gonna go our separate ways, that's divorce. So, this is the, so that's the second way that an agreement can come to an end. So we got the widow death, we got the divorce where two parties realize we need to go our separate ways, we're breaking our agreement. The third is breach of contract. And, and, the, and the concept, and we'll deal with this at another point, but the concept of a breach is when one party decides they're not doing what was in the agreement. So now they're brought to court, and as the judge looks at the agreement, because they can only go by what's written, they look at the agreement and says, this party did not do what they had agreed to do. At which point, if they decide not to sever the contract, then there will be penalties that will be placed on the guilty party. So that's a breach of contract. But that, in essence, does keep the agreement in place. So it's not technically a third. Um, it's not a third option for ending a contract. It might extend the contract with the agreement being adjusted, 
but there will be penalties that will be added. If you didn't make the payment by a certain time, they might increase the interest rate. So these are breach of contracts. These are things that we see throughout our day uh, with our, our automobile loans, with our housing loans, with credit cards. It's the same concept. This is what it is. This is what marriage is. These are our legal binding contracts that we've entered into. And I think it's easier to understand these concepts when we look at it from that vantage point. We tend to put marriage in this isolated cubicle, but it's a binding contract. So it's no different than a lot of things um, or agreements that we've entered in throughout life, um, many times with companies. So they have the right to come and sue us. They have the right to come after us and garnish our wages and all these experiences that we have. Why? Because of breach of contract, because of divorce, or everybody knows what happens when a person dies. And then that's a whole nother animal as companies are trying to figure out how to get their money. So let's talk about an adulterous marriage in regards to Jewish culture and Jewish laws. As we've been stating over and over and over, you cannot purposely commit adultery. That was an impossibility in the nation of Israel. And if a man said my wife committed adultery, then they stoned her to death or by law they strangled her. The man that was caught with her was also killed. So that was a standard law. You could not bring a sin offering, and we covered that in episode eight. Could not bring a sin offering to, uh, to, to be in the stead or in the place of the guilty party. So the consequence of adultery was always death. We also looked at cases of the, the, uh, a spouse being accused of adultery. That was handled by the law of jealousies where they had to go stand before the priests. And in that case, and I won't go through all the details, but in that case, the Lord, God himself, would judge the woman and judge whether she was guilty or if she was innocent. And we went through those consequences. So once again, the, the, the thought of adultery was always also addressed as well. So you could not divorce for adultery. That was death. You could not divorce if you thought your spouse was cheating because that was handled by the priests. And once God made the judgment and they're innocent, then you know they're innocent. So they were sent back home. Now, let's deal with the concept of an adulterous marriage. What is that and how does that occur then um, outside of these laws? So in that time frame, as people would walk and travel from different places or even go off to war, uh, sometimes the husband would not return. He might be gone for three months, six months, a year. You don't know if they're alive or not. If you remember the story of Saul, Saul left to go find the animals, his father's animals. They might have been donkeys. Um, but he's traveling and he's gone for several weeks, probably several months. And then he runs into the prophet Samuel. So the wife in these situations don't know many times if they're alive or if they're dead. So now she could not move on and remarry just because her husband did not come back after two years, after three years, after 10 years. It didn't work that way. They have a word called agnon, A-G-U-N-A-H. It means chained together woman or a chained woman, a woman that's not free. So in that situation, uh, the whole city, because these are small towns, everybody knows who her husband is. They know she's not a free woman to remarry, chained to her husband. And until there is proof of death, that's the status she holds until she dies. But now... How is a woman freed to remarry in these circumstances? Because the husband might have gone off 
and went to war and did not return. To become a slave, we have a concept of prisoners of war, but in their time, they became slaves. Was he taken off to another land and now this woman is still bound by law to her husband? She can't divorce her husband. At best, only the, the woman at best, all she could do was compel the court system uh, to ask the husband to grant her a divorce, but she herself could not just file a bill of divorce, take it to the court, and now be free from her husband. So in these cases, the requirement, if you remember the law, always required the mouth of two or three witnesses. In this particular case, she had to receive word, not from one witness, but from at least two witnesses that her husband was dead. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word, let every witness or confession be established. Now you take the witnesses to the court, to the Sanhedrin. They explain that, you know, we got word that the husband died. And uh, the witnesses will have to give their testimony regarding the death of this, this man. At which point she would receive the status of being a widow. And I won't deal with that whole concept and the culture of, of mourning. But now she is considered free, a freed woman from her first marriage. So now she can enter into a second marital agreement, a second legal marital agreement. So now she signs a second ketubah. There's a party that ensues as a man is interested. He sits down with the father. They discuss money. What's the value of this woman to the, door, uh, to the family? Now, he has to make his payment. If you remember, Jacob made his payment to Laban. He worked seven years for Rachel and then was tricked. So then he worked another seven years for Rachel. He, 14 years of labor that he put in for his wife. That was the payment for the daughter. The father would then give a dowry to the groom. All of this was written into the ketubah, into the contract. And they begin this process in preparation for marriage to now do the nuptials, the actual vows. They are considered legally married when they sign the ketubah at the beginning of the engagement. The engagement might go on from anywhere from nine months to even a year. And um, at which point they will have the final wedding ceremony. And the ketubah was read out loud to the, the guests that were present, they would have witnesses there that could not be a part of the family. They would sign the documentation. So now the woman was entered into a second legal marriage, having been a widow. Being a widow severs the first contract. Now, here's the problem. Even though you might have two witnesses that will vouch that they saw or in some way learned of the death of this woman's husband, in some cases, the husband was not dead. And so years go by, she's entered into a second marriage that is legal. It's approved by the Sanhedrin, by the courts. And now all of a sudden, the husband pops up. 
But now he's alive. And we have a major legal problem. But now her first marriage to the first husband is still legal. Which now makes the second marriage null and void. That second agreement is now become a invalid document because of the validation of the first marriage. The first one has to be dissolved now. So this is points back to what Paul is explaining in Romans chapter seven, that the death of the husband severs the marriage contract. But now we got a living husband and she's in a second marriage. Now this creates all kind of problems for several reasons. If kids are produced in the second marriage, they were now produced in a illegitimate marriage. And I don't think we have the time today to deal with illegitimate and the concept of bastard, but I'll explain it uh, in brief and then we'll go back again at a later time in more detail. But an illegitimate child <clears throat> was not really the same as a bastard. And so in this particular case with the adulterous marriage, these children were labeled as bastards. And so this meant that they would not receive inheritance at all. It means that they were required to be kicked out of the nation, out of the congregation. So there's scriptures in Deuteronomy that says that a bastard shall be removed from the congregation even up to the 10th generation. I mean, if they have kids and they have kids and they have kids and they have kids up to the 10th generation, they could not come back into the nation. So let's conclude this real quick. The second marriage had to be dissolved. It was considered invalid. That means she had to divorce the second husband, but she could not go back to her first husband. Because if you remember, the law says that it once you uh, a woman remarries, she now becomes defiled to the first husband. So he can't take her back. So the first husband is required to give her a get or bill of divorce and the second husband was required to give her a get or bill of divorce and she could never go back to either one of these two men. She was permitted to remarry, but not these two men. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.